Luke chapter 8, verses 37 through 50. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. All right. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, Anna. Hey, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic and get to open scripture with you today. Uh, if you've got your Bible or Bible app, make your way to Luke chapter 9. Um, hey, before we get going, I want to just, just quickly update you on something. Um, man, it's, it's so good to be in this space or online here declaring who Jesus is, singing these words, opening scripture. I am really, 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 really glad that we get to do this, right? But I also know this isn't the full extent of what it means to be a Jesus follower. That at some point, as good as this is, I'm also in need of sharing my life with other disciples. Walking side by side with people, sharing what it's like to follow Jesus and growing with them together. Uh, there's a few ways that this is, is happening here at Mosaic now. One you've already heard about, and that's triads. I'm really, really excited about triads. I talked to a guy about being in my triad, and I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way of, to getting my triad. I'm looking forward to, hopefully, the, the other guy I'm going to ask is going to say yes, or it's going to be awkward. Uh, that's one of the ways um, that we're, we're actually engaging in community with one another. Uh, a second way is something that, that we've been doing throughout the summer called Neighborhood Suppers. Uh, we started this at the beginning of summer um, as an effort of stepping back into shared life and community in person with one another after a long season of not being able to do that. 
Uh, the suppers was, was kind of a small step in that direction, meeting in people's backyards, around a barbecue, or in living rooms. And some of what I heard from these neighborhood suppers that I'm excited about and celebrating is things like, hey, we met a lot of new people for the first time, uh, a lot of introductions, people who haven't been around for a while showed up at a supper, even stories of people who had, have kind of leaned out of community and even being here on a Sunday, went to a supper, built some relationships, and actually leaned back into their church family. And so that's really exciting. That's really good. We want to continue that and actually add a little bit of intentionality into that monthly rhythm. Uh, so for the summer, we, we met together in neighborhoods, seven neighborhoods centered around a mill. Uh, we're actually going to be meeting in those same neighborhoods, plus one, we're adding a, an eighth neighborhood. Uh, but instead of centering around just a mill, we want to center around connection, prayer, and having intentional conversation of what it's like to follow Jesus together. To take what was good about the summer, sharing life together, and to add some intentional conversation into that time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I get to be a part of the Vancouver neighborhood community, and uh, we've, oh, there's someone from Vancouver. I'm, I'm glad you guys made it with all the bridge closures. It was a little dicey this morning. Uh, but we, we've been able to share life together, and, and I'm looking forward to taking now this next step in intentionality with one another and having these intentional conversations together. Uh, so if, if you've been a part of one of these neighborhood suppers, you're going to get some information and communication about when your neighborhood community will be meeting. If you've not signed up yet or, or been a part of one, I would just encourage you to do it today. It is, uh, it's a simple thing, and this has been a theme. It's not easy, right? Um, going to a, a community of people who you might not know all of them or might not know any of them, that's, that's not an easy thing, but it's an important thing, and it's a good thing, and it's something that we need if we're gonna follow Jesus in this time together in this city. So sign up today, you can go online, you can come by the table, some of our pastors will be there to greet you and help you. Um, we're gonna dive into Luke chapter nine. Before we do, I wanna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this, this beautiful fall day um, that you've gifted us with, and thank you for the gift of community um, and this opportunity to come and freely worship you, to declare your goodness, to declare who you are, to open this scripture and to know that this is reality and truth. And it orients us, it settles us, it gives us hope, it challenges us. And so Father, I pray today that you would open the eyes and the ears of our hearts, make us attentive, make us aware of what your spirit is doing in us and all around us. And we thank you for this in your name. Amen. So when I was living in New Mexico, uh, the place that I was working required me to be a part of this leadership cohort that our county put on called Leadership of Sandoval County. Um, it, it was a year long, and I, I wasn't super excited about having to be part of this, but it was a requirement, and so I showed up, and most of who was at this cohort actually had opted in themselves. It was a volunteer thing. They wanted to be there, very ambitious people, uh, people who wanted to further their careers, who wanted to further themselves politically. And, and so when we got there, I'm surrounded by all these very, very ambitious people, and the people who were leading this cohort said, okay, I want you to break off into teams and decide who's gonna be your leader. Oh my goodness, they could not have set up a scenario with more carnage. It was, at my table, it was all these people who desperately, desperately wanted to be in charge. 
They wanted the authority and they were shameless about it. Talking about their experience, talking about their education and, and it got pushy and it was getting to the point where I'm like, what is happening? And, and finally the person, the guy who ended up being our leader just bulldozed everyone and just kind of took charge. He's like, I, it's clear to me, I need to lead this group. We're moving forward, iron fist, that's it. And so that's, that's what happened, as often happens in life, unfortunately. And so we're, we're going along and we're given our first project and we're working on this project and it's starting really, really well. Part of, of this cohort is we're given these projects and we work and we learn as we go about how our county works and how our city works and how uh, government interacts with business and these different things. And so we're going along and our project's doing really, really well. And our leader's like, yeah, it's all me. That's why it's going so well. And he was sure to let everyone know this is because of his vast experience and wisdom and all of his, his good decision making. And then it started not going so well. We missed some stuff. We made some pretty critical mistakes. And the leaders in front of everyone started questioning. And suddenly, our leader just ghosted us. He dodged responsibility like middle schoolers playing dodgeball. He was just gone. And this is a picture of authority, unfortunately, that we see far too often. A version of authority that really wants to promote self, that really wants to advance self without responsibility, without the consideration of others. We're given this, this story in Luke that we're going to read today of, of Jesus, and it's a, a series of, of things that are happening. And in this, we see two things that Jesus is doing. One, we see his authority. This is a theme in Luke that shows up over and over as Jesus is talking about this coming kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's arriving with power and it's arriving with authority. We see Jesus in his authority and strength, but then we also see a characteristic, a virtue of Jesus in his humility. In the interplay of those two things, of absolute power and authority delivered in tandem with humility. So Luke chapter nine, let's look at this story. And just a, a brief recap, uh, we've been in Luke since last November, coming up on a year. Uh, Luke was written by uh, a man who was, who was well-learned, he's a physician, and he's writing it to a man named Theophilus to give a detailed accounts to the words and the life and the accounts all about Jesus. And the point of this whole story, the point of this book is to build and stir faith within us so that we know Jesus more, we know him more clearly and we're growing in our faith. So when we left off before we, we took a, a quick break for the deep and simple uh, series, Jesus was with Peter, James and John on a mountain and it's, it's a moment called the transfiguration where Jesus is outer human, human shell was momentarily peeled away and the brilliance of who he truly was shone through. And it's this amazing moment. And, and you might remember if you were here a few weeks ago, God calls out from heaven to Jesus and to the disciples, the, the three who are there. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Follow him. So this beautiful moment happens. And then they stay the night on the mountain. And this picks up the next day. It says in verse 37, the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. 
A spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground into convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So this, this story is Jesus and these other three disciples are coming down from the mountain. And the moment that he comes down from the mountain, he's confronted with this father who's in absolute desperation. The spirit is tormenting his son. The spirit is destroying his son. He comes to Jesus in absolute desperation. Please heal my son. I asked your disciples and they could not do it. We, we see and hear frustration from Jesus. You, you bent and perverse and wicked generation. How come you can't understand this? I've been teaching you this and teaching you this. I've been demonstrating my authority over and over. Why are you not getting this? But he tells the father, bring me your son. And he shows his authority. We've seen his authority over the physical body. We've seen his authority uh, to, to forgive people of their sins. And here's his authority once again, even in the spiritual realm, over this spirit. It's kind of an amazing story. These, these disciples who were asked to deliver the, this boy from the spirit, and they cannot do it because presumably they're doing it in their authority, not the authority of Jesus. If you've got siblings, you probably have a context for what that looks like. Imagine sibling one and sibling two. Sibling one is bothering sibling two. Pet, pesting, picking on them. Sibling two says to sibling one, please stop. Sibling one says, no, I'm not going to stop. Sibling two gets agitated and says, no, sibling one, I really want you to stop. I'm getting annoyed. And if you don't stop, I'm going to go tell mom. Sibling one says, go ahead. I don't care. Keeps pesting. Sibling two goes to mom and says, sibling one's bothering me. I'm fed up. And mom says, tell sibling one, mom says, leave him alone. So sibling two comes back and says, you better leave me alone. Mom said, this is going to happen arriving with a different authority, arriving with an authority that, that there's actual consequences now. These disciples presumably are trying to confront this spirit with their own authority, not the authority of Jesus, not the authority of the one who they've seen over and over. Heal the sick, raise the dead, set captives free, forgive people of their sins. This is who Jesus is. He heals this boy and the crowd marvels in amazement. They worship, they marvel at who he is. And Luke, once again, because he does this over and over, he's drawing our attention to the fact that this guy, he's not just a profound teacher. I mean, there's a lot of really good teachers and we're grateful for them and they're renowned and we remember them, but this, this guy's not just a teacher. He's, he's not even just a prophet. He's not just a disciple. He's something more. This authority that comes from him is signaling to you and I and to the readers of this book who this Jesus is, that he's the son of God, 
that he has come in absolute power and everything in all creation, known and unknown, is under his authority. What an amazing, amazing concept. Even things unseen are within his authority. Then he takes this authority and he places it in the hands of his followers and he sends them. Here in a few weeks, we're going to get to, uh, to Luke chapter two, 10, and it's the story of him sending out the 72. That his authority isn't just to draw people to himself, it's also to send them out. This authority, he has placed in their hands, <clears throat> and he places in our hands. Listen to these words in Matthew. You've likely heard these words before, but this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. This is coming towards the end of Jesus' physical life here on earth. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Jesus, in his authority, calls you and I, calls us to him, places this authority within our hands, and then sends us to the world. As you, you hear that, I don't, I don't know what that does for you. The idea of authority, the idea of, of stepping forward with that power and that identity, I don't know what that does for you. I know that there's a part of me that, that is very inspired by that, and there's a part of me that's a little intimidated by that. There's probably part of me that, that doesn't always know what that looks like. And we, we don't always have the best examples of authority around us. Right? I, I don't know how, but somehow my cell phone number has ended up in this political campaign uh, thing. I don't even know, group. And they text me nonstop. And it won't, it's just like the most ridiculous text. It's like two texts between like uh, warring fifth graders. And it's like, we can't let them do this. And if they do this, then we need, and, and, and it's just this like idea of, of just winning, of just taking power. And so much of our examples of authority looks like that. Man, even, even uh, authority in my life that has been really powerful, people who have discipled me, there's, there's, there's two men uh, that, apart from my family, when I was uh, a teenager, were the most influential uh, disciplers in my life. And even them, looking at their lives now, both of them have made some really terrible mistakes, have blown up their family structures, and, and we just don't always have really clear, good pictures of what authority, healthy authority, looks like. So, we start with Jesus who wielded absolute power and authority for the sake, not himself, not promotion, but for others. Jesus had absolute power, and he didn't use it to build a physical kingdom for himself, to amass riches and fame, and to live a life of comfort and ease. His power, his authority was to the benefit of people around him. Because he was a king, but he was a humble king. He's powerful and shows us what it's like
to exude authority with selflessness. So maybe that gives us a different picture of what authority might look like in our lives. Maybe it gives us a different picture because we, we tend to think authority goes to who? To the loudest, to the most powerful, to those with the most wealth and resources, to those who bulldoze their cohort team and just take it. That, that, that seems where authority goes, but, but in, in this context, in this kingdom, it's the exact opposite. Here's a picture of what authority might, might actually look like in our lives. One, prayer and fasting. Ephesians 6, 10 teaches us that the thing that we're fighting, the thing that we're wrestling against is not flesh and blood, but it's rulers and powers in spiritual realms. 15 minutes ago, that's what we did. We took the authority that Jesus has placed in our hands and we used it to pray for the nation and the people of Haiti. This is a way of stepping into spiritual authority when we pray, when we engage God on the behalf of others, on the behalf of ourselves, when we fast, when we choose not to eat physical food for a marked period of time and allow that physical hunger to drive us into deeper spiritual hunger. This is authority. We display God's authority through our story. Here's kind of a churchy word, but, but through our, our witness. We have this, um, this mentor that mentors some of our pastors, and, and a while ago he was talking about this, this idea that came from a book, and I don't know what book it came from. Maybe you'll know, but the idea is, is as we think about um, our, our influence and authority in our lives, there, there's kind of two places that it usually ends up going, one being our circle of influence, the other being our, our circle of concern. Our, our circle of influence represents kind of like our actual relationships. Like my, my wife is within my circle of influence. My kids, uh, my neighbors within my circle of influence. These are people that I know that I have a relationship with. The, the circle of concern are, are, are more global things realities, challenges that are facing our world or our nation or our city that, that I might not have person-to-person -person contact with, but, but I'm certainly concerned. And the concept behind this that, that he was teaching us is that we actually have the most impact with people that we have influence with. And that our story is a form of authority. It's a, it's a form of power for the kingdom of God within our relationships when we tell our story. When we tell the story of what Jesus has done and is doing and what we'll believe he's gonna do. That is influential and it's an authority. It brings truth, it brings clarity, it brings light. We have authority in our prayer, fasting, our story. We have authority when we love. When we live a life marked by love, and I, and, I, and I say that word, and I don't mean the sensation of love, the emotion that sometimes accompanies loving someone, but, but rather the dedication and commitment to serve and to give. 1 Corinthians 13 paints a picture of this kind of love, elevates this kind of love, and, and when we do this, it becomes a remarkable, authoritative thing. I think about the story of uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta who really did nothing but serve people in her circle of influence. She loved them. And look how profound her life was. 
because there's an authority that comes to serving and loving humbly people around us. This is a picture of authority, the kind of authority that Jesus models for us. It comes in tandem with humility. Listen to the words as, as it continues in verse 43. It says, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man, speaking about himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what he, what he meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not get a grasp. And they were afraid to ask him about it. It seems a little bit out of sequence. Here is this man, especially for the three disciples. They just saw him glowing on this mountaintop. Voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. He comes down the mountaintop. And here is this boy who is in, uh, afflicted by the spirit. And the other disciples could not help him. And with his mere words, he brings healing to this boy. In an instant, the crowds marvel at him. No one is like this guy. He's so powerful. And then he prophesies and says, but I'm going to be handed over the hands of men, eluding the cross. That even in his power, even in his strength, he is here to serve and to give himself and to give his life. Demonstrating his humility that he has come as a servant leader. The authority without humility leads to self-promotion and ultimately leads to some kind of pain and abuse. Authority without humility. And humility without authority, without actually engaging and speaking out and being Christ's ambassadors, it, it, it leads to passivity. That we can have the right heart, but, but, but we conceal the authority God has given us. Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount says that, that we're meant to be like a city on a hill shining in darkness, not like a light or a lamp put under a basket. But to take the authority that God has placed into us and as servants, live it out to the people around us. Here's what this humility looks like. This is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself be, uh, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is our example of authority and humility. Humility, it looks like preferring the other. This is what we read in this, this passage in Philippians, that Jesus lived a sacrificial life. He did not use his authority for his own gain. He used it for the benefit of people around him, preferring the other, creating space for others, self-control. That I create space for other people in my world around me. That I temper myself in my ambitions, humble myself, for the benefit of others around me. And serving without expectations. Serving without strings attached. Serving without an expectation of reciprocating something towards me. This is living generously. So this, this scene has happened with the disciples. 
Jesus has come down with the three and, and he's delivered this boy and suddenly they, they begin to break out into a bit of an argument. This happens a handful of times with the disciples, but they get into a little bit of argument and what they're arguing is what? Who's the greatest? Let's read, this is verse 46. An argument started among the disciples to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. So they get into this, this argument. And you can kind of see this, this argument coming, right? Um, Jesus is returning from the mountaintop with not 12, but how many? Three of his disciples. I'm sure that they reminded the other nine of this. I'm sure that it was kind of known, like, hey, what, what's going on with these three? Jesus, are you starting a triad without us? Is this happening? What's, what's ha-? You know, and then while they were gone, his other disciples tried to cast out the, the, the spirit, and, and it didn't go so well for them. And so they're beginning to, to kind of jostle each other and, and, and position who is the greatest? What does that question actually mean? Who is the greatest? What are they actually looking for in that ambition? They're looking for closeness with Jesus. Because whoever is the greatest, whoever, whoever has the ambition to push them to the top, gets to be closest to Jesus, gets the recognition from Jesus, gets the affection and the attention from Jesus. This idea that we can garner God's affection through our ambitions is a miserable, miserable trap. We get to be son, sons and daughters of God. And here, here's this amazing truth, if you don't know it. At this moment, God could not be more present with you. At this moment, God could not be more mindful of you. You might feel lost or unseen or forgotten or neglected. But at this moment, God's mind is on you. He has affection for you. He has love for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get his attention. His mind is set on you. His disciples are, are learning this lesson about his kingdom because they want to be first. They want the recognition. Jesus, did you see what we did? Jesus, I'm going to be your greatest disciple. You're never going to regret recruiting me. And Jesus is teaching them and letting them know and helping them see. He's present with them. He calls them his sons. He calls us his sons and his daughters. I'm going to invite our, our band to come back up. I've got, um, I'm going to leave us with a, a few questions. First question is this. Where are we experiencing this humble authority of Jesus in our own lives? Because the reality is we need God's authority in our life. His authority, it brings clarity and it brings life to us. What does 1 Peter 5 say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In a proper season, he will lift you up. Cast all of your cares and your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
much of the anxiety I've experienced and continue to experience in my life, not the sole uh, source of anxiety, but, but much of it can be attributed to me resisting God's authority in my life. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. When we follow him, we, we actually submit to his authority and reign and rule, and we become obedient. In your life, where are you needing to submit to that authority? The second question I have for us, where is God inviting you in his kingdom to take the authority that he's placed in your hands? Where is he inviting you to bring that authority to? What relationships, what darkness or brokenness in our neighborhoods, in our city, is God specifically saying, would you pray, would you fast, would you call out, would you bring and, and, and pray for healing for this person? Would you bring or pray for freedom for this place? Where is God inviting you to do that? Where is he inviting you to share your story, the authority of your story? What Jesus has done for you is the most powerful thing you can communicate to this world. Where is he inviting you to share your story? And where is he inviting you to be love? To do what love does, to prefer others, to care for others, to serve others sacrificially, not expecting, not expecting something in return. Where are we needing to experience God's authority? Where is he calling us to represent his authority? We're going to come to the tables here. Part of our worship is, is recognizing that, that this story Jesus is telling here, that, that he's going to be delivered to the hands of man, that, that this actually happens, that he went to the cross, that he faced death. Three days later, he arose in absolute power. And we take communion remembering that, worshiping him for that reality. And as we go to the tables today, or if you're at home, as you're preparing the elements, I want to go to the table with those two questions reverberating in our hearts, asking God's spirit to speak to us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that your word brings life and clarity. I pray as we go to the table and we think about your authority, uh, both in our life and in our hands, uh, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would give us clarity of what you want us to do, um, that you would give us clarity on, on where we need to submit, where we need to let go and say we we submit to your authority, your rule and reign in our lives. And we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this community. Amen. Amen. Amen.